Hello and welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manuel Galarza. We're going to give you the full card breakdown here for Bellator 264 coming up this Friday evening. We'll start with the prelims, work our way all the way up through the main card, giving you our favorite picks to win. We're not going to give you any prop bets. Unfortunately, I use DraftKings as my main sports book to do wagering for MMA fights. They do not offer prop bet scenarios here for Bellator yet. Let's hope that changes in the near future. But for this episode, we're going to give you just strictly our win or loss picks and why. We'll give you every breakdown. Now, the first three fights of the night, if you could bear with me here, it's going to be a little more of a ad lib talk us through because the reality is the first three fights on the, on the card combined, combined record is 10 and 9. When I say all three fighters combined, yes, combined record is 10 wins and 9 losses. 19 total fights have been fought in a pro level for MMA between the first three fights of the night, between all the fighters combined. So we're talking about a huge lack of experience, nothing to go off of. The first fight of the night features John McNeil, the American versus Orlando Mendoza, another American fighter. So they're both 0-0. Zero and zero. You have nothing to go off of. I do not recommend betting on fights like this because ultimately, you know, it's called gambling for a reason because you, you're gambling money that you are prepared to walk away from that you may not win. You hope you do win back the money or maybe more than what you put down, but it's gambling. And I do not like to refer to what I do when I place money on sports that I want to follow or I research as gambling because it's kind of an insult, right? You know, to the, to the casual gambler, yes, it's fine. Call it gambling. But if you're putting more time than the average person and you're doing research and you're actually looking at numbers and you're studying and you're trying to really get an edge, you don't like calling it gambling because it's kind of like, no, I'm doing more than that. I'm, I'm researching this, right? So these first three fights, this is gambling. This is gambling, guys, all right? Orlando Mendoza is 0-0. Zero zero. John McNeil is 0-0. Zero zero. Jeffrey Gossner is 3-2. Sebastian Ruiz is 2-3. Th Justin Montova is 2-0 versus Kenley St. Louis, 3-4. You just got nothing to go off of. I did look at some of the fights here. I will say of these th three first fights, Justin Montova interests me because he's 2-0, American fighter from New York City. He's got like that boxing skill. So he's got some boxing ability. Now, Kenley St. Louis, based on his profile picture and the pictures I saw of him, the dude looks jacked. I mean, he looks pretty strong, stronger than Montova. So, you know, is he a good wrestler? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I would just say, again, these first three fights of the night, watch them, take some notes. We'll see where these guys go from here. Um... The one that probably concerns me the most is Sebastian Ruiz. He's two and three, and his profile picture looks like he's a middle school kid. So that really kind of shook me up. Now, I did ask a while ago, and I had a, a, a follower here in the channel who pointed me in the right direction. But the profile pictures you see on Tapology, do you know that those are controlled by the actual fighter? The fighter can upload any photo they want of themselves or submit whatever photo they want to represent themselves. So keep that in mind when you see some of these profile pictures in the future. It's not like they're just coming out of the dark. The fighter themselves can submit a photo to Tapology, which would then be the photo up there. Sebastian Ruiz's photo must be from when he was in seventh grade because that's what it looks like. So yeah, these first three fights of the night, I would stay far away from. Now, from Pam Sorensen and R Roberta Samad moving on the rest of the card, those are more individual breakdowns. We're going to be more specific go over their, their fighter history, who we think is going to win the fight. These first three fights, I just think it's irresponsible to actually give you some suggestions on who's going to win because, quite honestly, this is, a, this is going to be lost money. Uh, don't do it. 
if anything, just check in on the fourth fight of the night or maybe watch these fights, take some notes. And so let's dive into the actual first fight we're going to look in. It's going to be Pam Sorensen and Roberta Palm Samad of Brazil. This brings us to the main event for the prelims. It's a women's bout. Pam Sorensen, 35-year-old American, versus 33-year-old Roberta Samad of Brazil. So this is a featherweight bout where Samad's coming in as a slight dog at plus 119, and Sorensen's the slight favorite at minus 149. I'll tell you right off the rip, we do like Samad here as a plus 119 dog. We're on her as one of our favorite dogs of the night. We'll be betting her straight up. We'll also be parlaying Samad. We like her with a lot of confidence. Samad's 5-1 overall. She's five foot eight in height with a 69-inch reach. Sorensen, the American fighter, is 8-3 overall. She's five foot seven to 65-inch reach. So size-wise, they're similar in height. There's a big reach advantage there, four-inch reach advantage for Samad. And looking at them on film, I'll tell you, Sorensen, you know, they're both very healthy women, okay? They're not very thin girls, let's put it that way. And Samad, it just seems like she carries her weight, her shoulders, she's big on top. She just seems like the heavier of the two. Now, granted, they have a both weight they have to met they have to match here, 145 pounds, right? But the point is, Samad just wrestles with a heavier type of dynamic than Sorensen. Sorensen likes to wrestle, but I think a big difference will be here on the ground. Roberta Samad just seems to wrestle bigger, seems to be the bigger fighter. Now, on the feet, they're both okay strikers. Neither one of them are amazing elite strikers. Samad will have the four-inch reach advantage, though, so there'll be an advantage there for her as well. Let's look here at recent fights here for Sorensen. She's coming off of a win against Caitlin Young, a decision win. It was dominant. She got the win there. Her prior fight, Felicia Spencer, she lost there by rear naked choke in round four. Fight before that, she won against split decision against Jane Finney. And then before that, an armbar win against Helena Koles Kolesnik. So... She hasn't fought anyone super relevant, um, and I'll say that when watching Pam Sorensen, it's underwhelming. You know, she's got some wrestling, some grabbing, grappling, but not a great striker. If she gets you to the wrong position, she'll get you an arm bar. She'll submit you like most of the decent fighters in this division. But Roberta Samad, who's had a big layoff in between her fights, that's one of the big glaring issues with her. She had a three-year layoff between her last two fights, and now this is a two-year layoff between this fight and her last fight. But she is 5-1 overall. She did, have a, she did have a child during that three-year layoff, so that was one of the reasons why she had to lay off that, that much of time. And the last layoff being two years is probably COVID-related. She did have a bout canceled back in July of 2019, and that was right as COVID was starting to, to ramp up. So her last fight, decision win over Charneski. Tough, good fight. Um, you know, Charneski's an okay fighter, but nothing to write home about. You know, she's 3-8 and eight overall. But I got to tell you something, and this is going to sound a little mean for the Pam Sorensen fans, I saw similarities between Moriel Charneski and Pam Sorensen, meaning how they're built, sort of how they fight. Roberta Samad, the Brazilian, you know, she's got that Brazilian heritage, tough fighter. She's slightly younger than 35-year-old Pam Sorensen. You know, Pam Sorensen, how do I say this? Just doesn't have, I believe, um, the ability, not, not the heart. She's got the heart. She's got some of the tools but doesn't have the ability to match a tough Brazilian fighter like Roberto Samad. So I like Samad to win here by decision. It's going to be a women's fight in terms of slow moments, some grappling, some holding. The girl who's on top is the girl who's going to win. The person who's got the wrestling advantage, I believe that'll be Samad, will win. There's also the BJJ aspect, you know, again, Samad being from Brazil. So I'll bet Samad straight up one unit. 
and I'm going to parlay some odd, at least one, just one of those lottery parlays, right? The plus 119 is great. I wouldn't be shocked by game time or by fight time that this actually turns into um, a plus, you know, I'm sorry, a pick em. You know, a pick em or even some odd being minus something minus like minus 115, minus 120. According to Tapology, 72% though of the votes are coming in for Sorensen. Now, one thing I'll mention, and this could be like the name effect type of thing where you hear a name and then the name rings a bell of maybe a better fighter. Like whenever you hear the Magomedov name, that ripples right towards Khabib. Well, when I first heard the name Pam Sorensen, I for some reason thought of a different Sorensen, a different fighter. And then when I looked her up, I was like, oh, no, I was thinking of someone else. So, yeah, the American Pam Sorensen, the name, it brings, I don't know, it's got like a, a it's a household name, like, you know, Forrest Gump. But I think Roberta Samad is going to be just too much woman, um, tough fighter. I tell you, she's intimidating her, her post-fight interviews. She's nice. She's nice. But I wouldn't refer to her as elegant. <laughs> she's more like. See, calling her butch wouldn't be appropriate because she's, I don't I don't know her sexuality and I don't want to refer to her as being butch, but she's just let's see, very like she's just she's strong. Strong like bull. Okay. So I think Pam Sorens is gonna run into a very tough, tough opponent who in the clinch, when they're both in the clinch and they're trying to get their body locks in, I think Samai has a slight advantage. She overwhelms Sorensen. I would be surprised if a finish though. I think Pam is tough. She could take a she could take a hit, so could Samad. But if Roberta piles it on and Sorensen is like late round two, round three, realizing I can't get out of this, I can't get a win, maybe she balls up and, and Samad just overwhelms her. So we got Samad to win, one of our favorite dogs of the night. Let's move on. The first fight in the main card pitches two American fighters against each other in the middleweight division. 26-year-old Ty Gwerter, who's coming in as a minus 200 favorite, Versus 33-year-old Kazumarat Bastayev, who's a plus 160 underdog. Bastayev is 10 and 4 overall. He's six foot six in height with a 76-inch reach. We've got his striking offensive and defensive numbers here, along with takedown numbers, but we do not have numbers here on Ty Gwerter, unfortunately. Ty Gwerter is five and two overall, six foot one in height with a 77 with a 77-inch reach. So the elephant in the room is the size: uh, six foot six versus six foot one. But look at the reach. Bestayev is actually 76-inch reach. He's got a one-inch disadvantage in reach versus Kai Gwerter. So that's kind of interesting. Um, six foot six in height. We're going to talk about that here in a second. We gave Ty Gwerter a two out of five in the fighter IQ rating, mostly because he just hasn't fought much of anything in terms of competition. He just hasn't fought anybody. It's kind of hard to give the, give him a, a really relative fighter IQ rating. As for Katsumara Bestayev, he hasn't fought anyone either, but he also has some chin issues. He's got some mobility and quickness issues because of his size and his height. We'll talk more about that here. So, according to Tapology, Gwerter is 75% favorite over Bastayev, getting 75% of the votes on Tapology. And again, Bastayev is the minus, is the plus 160 dog here, and Gwerter is the minus 200 favorite. We like Gwerter to win the fight. Probably wins by TKO. Um, the problem with Bastayev, and we're going to talk about it right now, is that he's six foot six in height. So, when he's launching a nice jab against a shorter fighter, in theory, he's got this big advantage, right? But by the time that jab extends, by the time it recoils, or any one of his punches extends or recoils, just imagine like this: the Yao Ming effect, the Shaquille O'Neal effect. Those guys are big and tall. It takes so much for them to move left and right, to, to go up and down. They're just big humans. And this guy at six foot six, he has a he has a quickness disadvantage against almost every single person he fights. 
Ty Guerter is pretty, not only pretty tough, he's a pretty quick fighter. He's got a quick twitch muscle, so Bestive is going to just be behind all the exchanges. Eventually, he'll get taken down. He's taller. He's going to get taken down easier. You know, this this thing of a taller six foot six fighter in this division, middleweight division, if it was heavyweight, it could be looked at a little different, right? But for the middleweight division, my gosh, he's going to fight guys who are literally almost 5'10", 5'11", in some fights. And that's going to be a big disadvantage for him, actually. Not an advantage. He's not super quick. He's very long, very laboring. So I think right here on this, there's a lot of value because Ty Gwerder, I think, gets this win pretty easily. Probably by TKO. Probably ends the fight in the second round by some type of TKO. I will say this, that I noticed it, I noticed this about Ty Gwerder in his recent fights. The dude can take a punch. Okay, so let's just say, for example, that Bestaev actually does connect. In Gwerder's last fight against Dalton Rosta, he at some point looked like he was about to get TKO'd. He survived it. He was able to get through it. He's also knocked out guys in recent fights against George Tacos, who he knocked out in round three with a, with a nice left hook. So, you know, I like Ty Gwerder. He's also four, seven, seven years younger. He's got the youth advantage, okay? So for Bestaev, I'm going to say this one more thing about him. I don't know anything about the dude personally. I didn't look up any videos of him or any interviews. But when you look at him fight, it's very, very underwhelming. Okay, the dude has lost three of his last five fights, you know, for a reason. He got absolutely starched. The definition of starched, his last fight versus Phil Hawes. Round one, gets completely starched. Does that whole, like, turn into a mummy, fell to the ground. It was pretty bad. Now, looking at his last two wins... Because if you're like, oh, no, well, it's not that bad. He's won two of his last three fights. Yeah, well, one of those wins was against a guy who was 1-8 coming into that fight. That guy's 1-11 now. The other guy is 4-4. Four and four. So his last two wins are against guys who are 1-11 right now and 4-4. Four and four. And then before that, he lost against Blake Troop. Alonzo Menafield also beat him up round one, eye injury. So, look, anytime he stepped in the ring and gets any kind of decent competition, like Alonzo Menafield or Phil Hawes, he's losing, and he's losing immediately. Then when he goes in there and gets cans like Eric Smith or Robert Allensworth, where he beats those guys, you know, round one, guillotine, submission, that kind of thing, those guys are garbage. I think Ty Gorder is not a world beater by any means, but this is a safe betting spot. I like him as a straight-up bet, and I like him as one of my favorites for a parlay piece as well on this card. I'll be talking about the whole parlay breakdown. We're going to give you three parlays at the end of this at the, excuse me, end of this video. But for this particular fight, we like Ty Gorder. I think it's a safe bet for Kazumata Bastayev. I mean, this might be the last fight for him in Bellator. I just don't see why. Well, let me rephrase that. I would hope that Bellator can get some better um, caliber fighters because just don't see it, man. I, you know, he he doesn't pass the eyeball test and anything he does in the ring, it's going to be a pretty one-sided fight. Uh, I'm pretty safe here that Ty Gwerder is going to win the fight in some way, shape, or form within the first two rounds. Okay, let's talk about the second fight in the main card, which is a heavyweight bout between Davion Franklin and Everett Cummings. This is going to be short and sweet. These are both American fighters. Franklin's 27 years old. Cummings is 34. Cummings is 15-0. Woo, 15-0 overall. He's 5'11 with a 75-inch reach, and Franklin is 3-0 overall, and he's 6'3 in height with an 80-inch reach. According to Tapology, the public vote is strongly on the side of Franklin, with 75% of the votes going to Franklin. Now, Franklin is a minus 240 favorite on the current money line, and Everett Cummings is a plus 190. I'm going to imagine by fight time on Friday, I think Franklin's going to balloon to almost a minus 300 favorite because this, to me, is 
let's forget about breaking down MMA fights like we usually break down fights. Let's just look at the obvious here. You got a guy, Ever Cummings, who looks like he's selling insurance versus a young, black, 27-year-old heavyweight. Um, I'm going to take the young, black, heavyweight kid versus the middle-aged-looking white guy who looks like he's selling insurance. I mean, I'm just going to say it is what it is. Now, I'll tell you, here's a real reason why you're going to definitely take Davion Franklin in this fight. Look at who Cummings has fought. And this reminds me of a recent video that came out from um, CJ Saptic. If you're not following him, uh, he's a wonderful handicapper. The dude is a walking dictionary when it comes to MMA fights, events, the whole deal. Um, but he did a recent video about uh, a fighter who's got a bunch of wins and a bunch of submissions. I can't remember the guy's name offhand. But basically how the record was padded and how the guy had fought just a ton of cans, had fought some guys multiple times and so on and so on. Well, look at Everett Cummings. He's got 15 wins and no losses and start looking at his record. He's also got an amateur record that was also 5-0. and So look at the people that Everett Cummings fought. And if I'm off on one or two, I apologize. But I'm going to start off with the first, let's say, five or six fights of his career. He fights guys that literally have fought one fight in their career. And they lost that fight to him. And that was his first one, two, three, four, five, six... His first six fights of his career, those first six guys, okay, Anthony Pintor, Dominic Burns, Monty Moto, Michael Boza, Donald Parm Palmer, Joe Cisneros. If you look those names up here, they've never fought another fight. They fought one fight against him, and they lost, okay? Then he's fought other fights against guys that are, you know, 2-8, and eight, <laughs> you know, guys that are 0-7, 0-8, you know, overall in their career. So he has literally fought nobody okay every cummings has not fought anybody so the reality is those 15 that 15 to know is just meaningless um as for davion franklin it's not like he's fought a bunch of competition either he's obviously only three and oh he knocked out tyler king in his bellator um his second bellator fight he's actually had ko's in two of his three bellator fights but i'll tell you what the guys he fought against like jw kaiser back in 2020 man that guy was i gotta tell you what kaiser looked like he had just come out of another fight <laughs> If you go back and watch that fight back in February of 2020, uh, Franklin lines up, fights Kaiser in his Bellator debut. And I'm telling you, Kaiser look like, looks like he just fought another fight 10 minutes before that. Uh, his face was beat up. He looked like he had some damage already done. So, yeah, just very low level. And it's disappointing because I think Bellator, like we love MMA. We want to see good quality MMA. But, like, sometimes some of these guys, it just make you, make you, it makes you cringe a little bit. Like, ugh. So, um, yeah, this fight makes me cringe a little bit. I'm on Davion Franklin to win. Now, I think he's going to KO Cummings. I think he's going to go in there and probably overwhelm him in the first round. Now, is there an alternative universe where Cummings comes in? He's a wily veteran. He's, he, he basically takes it into second, third round, takes Davion Franklin to deeper waters, and Franklin gasses out. Yeah, that could happen, but I don't see that being likely the case here. I think Everett Cummings is just a journeyman. He's got a padded record. He's 34 years old. He's fighting a young guy here. The minus 240 current money line is pretty good. I'm thinking to bet that straight up and looking to maybe parlay it with, with one or two parlays. I'm not going to over parlay this because Davion Franklin is only 3-0. I'm thinking he's probably going to have that gas tank issue. So there's always that issue if he gets out of second, third round. It's going to be a problem. But anyway, I like Davion Franklin. I like him to knock this dude out in probably first, second round. And keep in mind this. Everett Cummings, he's listed at five foot eleven with a 75-inch reach. Okay, as a heavyweight, five foot eleven, like I'm five, what five eight ish on a good day. Um, yeah, dude's only like a few inches taller than me, and he's a heavyweight. Seems like maybe the body type's not going to be great for Everett Cummings, just offhand. And if it's going to be a small body type, 
Davion Franklin packs a little bit of weight there. He's a little bit chunky around the midsection, but he's he's bringing all six foot three with an eighty inch reach. He's gonna have a five inch reach advantage and a four inch height advantage. I think that just plays into his favor a ton. The minus two forty, I think, is pretty good here. I mean, you're getting a lot of value. The reason why it's probably not minus, let's say, four hundred, is because Ever Cummings is fifteen and zero. Vegas recognizes that. People see that. The money line recognizes that. But I'm telling you now, that fifteen and zero is, you know, he might as well just be zero and zero at this point. So, we're on fucking to win the fight. On to the next one. Next up on the main card is a bantamweight bout between the 32-year-old American fighter Rafian Stotts and the 29-year-old Russian fighter Magomed Magomedov. Magomedov is 18-1 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights, 5'7 in height with 69-inch reach. He's currently coming in here as a minus 400 favorite on the money line. Stotts is a plus 300 underdog, 16-1 overall, 5-0 in his last five fights, 5'7 in height with a 73-inch reach. He's training at Rufus Sports in Wisconsin. And Magomed Magomedov is training with that whole Dagestani Russian crew, Khabib, and all them. So, uh, according to Tapology, Magomedov is a huge favorite. 91% of the votes coming in for Magomedov. And obviously, the money line reflects that he's a big favorite. Um, probably a little bit too much for my liking to bet straight up. But we could discuss how this could be a potential parlay piece. Um, all right, let's talk about Stotts first. You know, Stotts is a wrestler by trade. So, when you talk about the matchup here, Magomedov's a wrestler. Stotts is a wrestler. So, there should be some nice... Good exchanges, put it that way, on the ground or against the cage where they're going to be working through the clinch and trying to see who can get the better of each other. I'm going to lean towards Magomedov getting the better of the wrestling exchanges, but I don't think Rafian Stotts is anything to slouch about. The guy's like on a seven or eight fight winning streak, and his last loss came, what, back in 2018? And who did he lose to? I uh, looked it up here. It was no slouch. Who did he lose to? Yes, Marab Devashvili. Devashvili is a pretty good fighter, all right? He lost him, spinning back fist, round one, kind of a fluky situation. It does happen, but that was his last loss. Prior to that, his last loss was Demetrius Wilson, 2014, as an amateur. So, look, I mean, the guy, you got to give Stotts his credit. 16-1 and one as, a, as a pro, he's 16-1 and one for a reason. Now, if I do have to criticize anything about him, I'll say, like, his last four fights, he beat Cass Bell, Keith Lee, Josh Hill, Chadian Luliala. Um, those guys... Not really good fighters, not great competition, and at times you saw Stotts sort of fight down to the competition. I didn't love that. Now again, wrestling is sort of his cornerstone, so he's going to look to wrestle you, gain position points, and that's the way for his path to victory. A lot of decisions on his record, okay, he does have a few chokes, he does have a few sub submission finishes, but looking, for example, at his last four wins, three of those wins were by decision. So, again, I think he tends to fight down to the competition at some point. There's like I don't know, that killer instinct sort of dwindles away with him. He's not looking to finish the fights, okay? Looking at Magomed Magomedov, I think he's got more of a dog in him. He's going to look to finish you if he can. Now, look, last fight against CJ Hamilton back in, what, April, just a few months ago, he took CJ and threw that poor young boy all over the damn octagon, picked him up, slammed him, beat him up. Eventually, he got an RNC, rear naked choke on CJ Hamilton, but it was more like CJ was just like, I'm done with this. I'm getting thrown all over the place. I'm getting punched. I'm getting grinded out. CJ's a decent fighter, and he just was completely outclassed by the more aggressive, the dominant Magomedov. Magomed, Magomed Magomedov's prior fight was in December of 2020, so roughly nine months or so ago, he fought Mathis Matos. Now, if you know anything about Matos, that dude's like a fire hydrant. He's hard to choke. His neck is short and thick. He's just a tough guy to move around. But what did Magomedov do? He got back control. 
He backpacked him, got on his back, found ways to take him down, found sweeps. And Matos is a strong dude. So he doesn't finish it, Magomedov, but he gets a nice, decisive, like 30-27 win over a very tough, durable guy. And that was Magomedov's um, Bellator debut, I believe, and along with Matos's debut as well. So anything before that, you know, that's ACB stuff. It's lower level. I believe that Magomed Magomedov is on a one-way track to competing for a belt here at some point in Bellator. He's got the tools. He's got the the whole, you know, the whole recipe for greatness. He's got the gym. Usually Khabib is in his corner for his fight. So, you know, it's all there. In terms of how do you bet this fight, though, and how do you bet it in a safe manner? I mean, will people put straight-up money on that minus 400? They will. There's some people who will look at this fight and say it's guaranteed he's going to win the fight. I don't know that it's guaranteed. Like, what could could Stotts come in here and, like, win a round and reverse some of the wrestling and get some position control? I mean, probably not. But, like, it could happen. Like, the dude is – his record reflects that he's capable of holding his own. The same way that he has a tendency to fight down to competition, he has a tendency to fight up to competition too. You know, if you look back at these guys in terms of what they do in the ring, it's very, very similar. Now – Talking of fighting down to the competition, Magomed Magomedov has one loss, right? He's 18 and 1. His sole loss is against Peter Yan. Okay, that was a few years ago. Lost a decision to Peter Yan. And actually, a few fights before that, he fought Peter Yan. He beat Peter Yan by split decision. So, look, the dude is legit. Magomed Magomedov probably has a slight bump here when it talks about in terms of fighter experience, in terms of who he's been in the ring with. Because, again, guys like Peter Yan versus Rafian Stotts, who, you know, probably his greatest competition was. Oof, yeah, Devashalili, who he lost to, Marab, Marab Devashalili back in 2017. So, look, this should be a decent fight. I do expect it to go deeper into round two or round three because, look, you're looking at the guy here with Stotts who not only is he a decent wrestler, he's got a good gym. He's training at Rufus Sports. He's got good teammates. He's working on the grappling. He's working with all those guys in there. He's getting prepared for this fight. Look, they're trying to put out a good product. I expect him to go out there, go deep into round three. It's going to be a tough fight. Now, with that said... Could Magomed just wear him down like he did to CJ and just break his will and just break him just mentally and eventually just the guy just submits somehow? Yeah, it could happen. Either way, it should be a good fight. One of the best fights in the card. I'll be parlaying Magomed Magomedov. We'll go over that in the summary here at the end of the show. But I'll be putting him into a few parlays. I do like him from that standpoint. But I won't be over parlaying it. At minus 400, it is almost unbettable. So good luck with this fight, guys. Okay, the co-main event for Bellator 264 features a welterweight bout between the 31-year-old Russian Andrei Kreshkov and a 32-year-old American fighter Saba Hamasi. Hamasi is 15-9 overall, 6 foot in height with a 73-inch reach. Kreshkov is 23-4 overall, 6 foot, in, 6 foot 1 in height with a 76-inch reach. According to Tapology, Kreshkov is the huge favorite, getting 88% of the votes. The money line has Kreshkov at minus 335 and Saba Hamasi at plus 260. We're on Kreshkov to win the fight. We like him more as a parlay piece than a straight-up bet. We'll kind of explain that here as we go over the fight breakdown. So Saba Hamasi is coming off of a loss here to Paul Daly, and if you didn't have the pleasure of watching that roller coaster of a fight, the fight starts off round one with Saba Hamasi knocking down Paul Daly multiple times in round one. He's got Paul Daly up against the proverbial, proverbial ropes, right? Even though they're in a cage. Um, anyway, the point is, he's got the fight just about finished. The referee's almost going to step in, almost about to call it. 
but gives Paul Daly just enough time to recover. Paul Daly gets back to his feet. He does stun Hamasi within the first I mean, 20, 20 seconds left to go in round one. He hurts Hamasi. Hamasi kind of staggers. He's okay, survives it. You also see Hamasi getting tired. So here we go to the stool. Between round one to round two, you can see what's happening. He's getting tired. Hamasi's got a history of having cardio issues. He comes off of round two, doesn't have his feet underneath of him. Unfortunately, gets cracked a few times, gets hit with a few shots. Excuse me. Excuse me there. Man. All right. He gets cracked with a few shots and um, doesn't look good. Eventually falls to the ground. I will say this. The shot that actually knocks him to the ground wasn't a really hard shot. Kind of got hit with the inside of the wrist type of thing, and it wasn't a real clean shot in the chin or the face. It was more of a glancing blow. I think Hamasi was just tired at that time. He had enough of Paul Daly, so Paul Daly comes back, wins the fight. If you're a Hamasi guy, you look at the fight and say, okay, listen, he just he's learning. I know he's 32, but he's still only 15 and 9. He's learning. It was a mistake. He's got to realize what's going on there. Conserve his gas tank better in round one, yada, yada, yada. I get all that. All right, I understand that. Um, the flip side is like, hey, man, you are 32. You have fought already 20-something fights. Like, you should know better. Your cardio has got to be up to speed. So it's kind of like a half glass full, half glass empty. Now, his prior fight, if you're on Hamasi, the fight before that against Bobby Volker, flying knee to hammer fist, round two, great knockout for Hamasi. He looks wonderful. You know, he treats at a good gym. He's in Coconut Creek, Florida, training an American top team. So he's got a lot of good teammates down there. The dude's got the power. There's no question. He's got the power in his hands, his legs. He can bang. His fights, though, usually don't go beyond round one, round two. Now, he does have a decision win against Curtis Melender back in 2020, back in August, just a year ago. So he's had some moments where he showed that he can go the distance. He's had moments where he's knocked guys out early in round one. I see, though, with him a big drop-off in his... His power, execution, wrestling ability, everything just starts to go downhill after you get out of round one with him. So that's a big question mark that I have with him. I think as a dog play, I don't like it. I think Andre Koreshkov, who we'll talk about now, has has the tools to neutralize a lot of what Saba Hamasi wants to do. Saba Hamasi's most effective tool to finishing someone is the power. He can kick you. He'll kick in the legs, kick in the body. He'll punch you. He's got just really good power. Um, so... Andre Koreshkov knows that. He's dealt with guys who've got power before. He's gotten rocked before. He's been able to deal with some guys that are, you know, have hit him pretty clean. Um, Koreshkov's coming off of a win against Adriano Rodriguez. And don't bother watching that fight. It's AMC fight promotion, very low level. He gets a round one arm bar against this guy, Rodriguez, who's just not very good. So for Koreshkov, I mean, he's fought a lot better town than that. That was his last fight. The fight prior to that, Lorenz Larkin, he loses that fight. And, you know... He lost. He lost the fight. It was pretty much 1-1 going into round three. Round three, he gets backpacked for the entire round, loses the fight. Can't get the guy off of him. You know, for Kreshkov, he had look, he, he's a decent grappler, decent wrestler. But if you wrestle him and put him in the wrong spot and he's on his back, he could be on the, on the on his back for an entire round. So, you know, or he could have somebody on his back per se getting backpacked. So, you know, there's questions about him at times. I don't love everything about his game. Um you know, his wrestling becomes less effective in late round two, late, late round three, because he does tire. So in round one, he looks good. He'll wrestle a guy to the ground and do what he's got to do, and he looks powerful. 
But the problem is that just goes down round two, round three. These guys both don't have great cardio. I mean, you could watch a round three where both guys are maybe throwing a total of maybe 15 to 20 punches the entire round. So, you know, be prepared for a cardio dump here from one or both guys. And depending on what they're doing, if they're doing a lot of wrestling and grappling, that cardio dump could happen halfway through round one. You know, I don't want to wish that upon anyone. I do want to see a good fight here. Um, in terms of Koreshkov, uh, looking here at his re recent fight history, I just want to make sure I'm covering everything. Um, he fought Lima back in 2018. He lost that fight, rear naked choke, round five, and that's an example of where the cardio became an issue because for five rounds, they're fighting toe-to-toe. -to -toe. If you listen to the commentators, they say that they believe that Andre Koreshkov won round one and round two of that fight versus Douglas Lima. So he wins round one, round two, loses round three and four, in my opinion, Goes to round five, and round five is where it's like, hey, he's got a chance. He cannot deal with the grappling or the wrestling of Lima because he's just so tired. If it was round one scenario where he was winning those battles and the wrestling and grappling, it'd be different. It's round five. Lima just gets a second, like, wind. Is able to do the wrestling better, the grappling better. He's got more energy. Eventually, you know, Andre gives up his back and gets choked out round five. You know, so... For Andre Koreshkov, look, it, it, same, it's the same recipe for both fighters. They really need to win round one. They really need to be effective and win round one. And whichever guy does that is probably going to be the one who sets the tone for the fight and will be better off. Because if either fighter, let's say, for example, you're wagering on either fighter, and that guy, we're not sure if he won round one, and we're not sure if he won round two, and it gets to round three, we're like, we, we really need this round. Well, these guys don't have great cardio, so you're going to be really hoping on something that just does not have a lot of energy. It's going to be really aggravating if your guy's the one who gets wrestled to the ground, doesn't have the energy to get up because he doesn't have good cardio. So I, I completely could see that scenario where one of these two meatheads is going to be the one laying on the ground in the round three and can't get up. They just don't have the energy. And whoever's on top is going to be like, whew, thank God I'm on top, man. Thank God I'm the one laying on this guy because I don't have any energy either, but at least I'm on top of him. So, you know, it could look something like that. From a betting perspective here, I think you put Koreshkov in a few parlays. We'll talk about the parlays in our summary here at the end of the episode. We'll go over the parlays we like the most, but we're definitely going to have Andre in a few of them. From a dog perspective, and if you think about this as, as the dog or pass and you like Saba Hamasi, hey, more power to you. I just don't really see the angle. I think Andre's just experienced enough. He's been in there with just a, just good enough talent. Um Matter of fact, looking at his fight history, he hasn't fought anyone that's like super duper notable. I mean, he's lost to Ben Askren. He's lost to Douglas Lima twice. You know, he's fought some okay guys. For Hamasi, same thing. Hasn't fought a ton of like name brand guys. Did lose to Tim Means. Did lose to Abdul Hassan. Um, did lose to Paul Daly. So he's fought some okay guys. I mean, I think these guys are very, very similar. That's why the money line doesn't make sense to me. I think if this money line was a little bit more honest... It should be Koreshkov more like around minus 250-ish. But it is Bellator. Then Russian fighters are definitely getting a little bit of a bump. Um, because if you see any Russian fighters right away, it's like, oh, the Russian guys, you know, Khabib, all that stuff. So um, anyway, that said, I do like it as a parlay piece. And uh, we should look with this fight. Moving on. The main event, Bellator 264, features a middleweight bout between two veteran fighters, 36-year-old Gagard Musasi of the Netherlands versus 36-year-old John Salter of the United States. Musasi has fought in an unbelievable 56 total fights. He's 47-7-2 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. John Salter is 18-4 overall, 4-1 in his last five fights. 
Salter is six foot one in height with a seventy four inch reach. Musasi is six foot two in height with a seventy six inch reach. So a slight reach advantage there for Musasi and a slight height advantage. As for their striking offense and their takedown offense and defense, Musasi lands three point seven three point seven five strikes per minute, where John Salter lands one point six eight strikes per minute. Salter absorbs 1.68 strikes per minute and Musasi is absorbing about 1.21 strikes per minute. So just looking at those numbers there, there's a significant advantage there for Gagard Musasi on the feet. He does like to fight predominantly on the feet, does not like to be on the ground. If you look at some of his past fights, he'll have opportunities where maybe a fighter will be laying down and he'll just disengage and just get up. So that's not his game. Whereas Salter is much more of a wrestler. We'll talk more about that here shortly. So looking at takedown offense, Musasi lands one and a half takedowns basically per fight. So per three rounds, 15 minutes, he's going to land a, a takedown and a half. As for John Salter, he's landing 2.85, almost double the amount, almost three takedowns per 15 minutes. And I'll tell you what, if you look at some of his fights, he would have probably had more takedowns. It's just that once he gets people down to the ground, if he has it his way, he'll keep that guy down. So there's some fights I've watched recently of him where he gets a guy down one time in the round. And that's the way it is the rest of the round. So, you know, maybe less takedowns than if a guy who's able to get back up. But still, he's averaging about three takedowns per fight. Takedown defense, Musasi's slightly better. He's defending about 59% of the takedowns that are attempted against him, whereas 46% for John Salter. In terms of the money line, Musasi's a huge favorite here. We're going to talk about this. I think this is way overpriced. Um, I'm going to give some good information why I think John Salter is a very good dog play on this card. I know it's the main event. Um, obviously, Musasi's the favorite. He's got the name. They're both the same age, so age isn't really really a factor. Um, but minus 350 is way too high for Gagard Musasi. I see him being a parlay buster this week. And for this fight, I could tell you right now off the, off the rip, I'm going to lean John Salter. I'm picking John Salter to win. He's going to be a dog or pass probably at the end of the day, but I still will be putting about a half unit on him. I won't be parlaying him per se. I won't be doing that. But I definitely won't be parlaying Musasi either. Okay. Um, looking at topology, my gosh, the entire public is on Musasi. 94% of the votes are on Musasi. Only 6% of the votes for Salter. Let's look here at uh, Musasi's recent fight history. Going back to his last fight, he beat Douglas Lima. Won by decision. That was October last year. Just about under a year ago. He looked pretty good in that fight. And Lima just looked like trash. I'm not sure what was going on with Lima coming into that fight. He's a better fighter than that. But on that night, he allowed um, he allowed Musashi just to set the tempo and walk him down and back him up. And Musashi did a good job. You know, Musashi backed him up, kept the tempo going, was able to block whatever Lima was throwing, was able to walk him down, land his shots. And again, Musashi wants to keep the fight on his feet. In this fight, he was able to get some back control at times. So he got some position control on Lima. Lima could not get him off his back for almost a full round at one point. So it's it's ironic. Musasi wants to fight in his feet, but in this fight versus Lima, he did take advantage of Lima's inability to do anything on the ground. Won the fight. It was clear, 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 excuse me, clear-cut victory. Um, and nice win there overall um, for Musasi. And again, I think Lima's better than that. All right, let's look back here. Prior fight before Lima. He fought Leota Machida. And if you see the name Machida on your you know fighter history and you have a win against that, it looks pretty good. But man, Machida is aged. He's not the fighter he used to be. And he won that fight by split decision. Some people will say Machida won that fight. That was back 2019. So just two years ago, 34-year-old Musasi goes the distance and loses a split I'm sorry, wins a split decision against Leota Machida. So, you know, not all wins are created equal. A split decision win against a very old Machida. Uh, you know, his prior fight now, Rafael Lovato Jr. This guy comes in 9-0. 
He's a veteran, hasn't fought many people at all. They're giving him a title shot. He comes in there against Musasi. Musasi was a big favorite, like a minus 550 favorite. Goes five rounds, goes a distance. First two rounds, in my opinion, go to Lovato. Third and fourth round go to Musasi. Fourth round, Musasi gets backpacked, take it to the ground, can't get out of the clinch, can't get out of the control of the uh, opponent, and loses the fight. That was 2019, so that was just two years ago. I thought to myself, before watching that fight, you know, looking at the way that Musasi fights, he's kind of heavy on his front foot, heavy on both feet, actually. He just wants to strike and stay on his feet. That's his game. If he fights an energetic guy who can wrestle him, that's it. It's it. You know, he's going to have a hard time. Now, looking at a guy like Salter, he's not energetic and young. He's 36 as well. But his whole, like, not whole game, a big portion of his game and his game plan is wrestling. Wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Now, he does tire towards the end of the fights. I'm not sure if that's age or just his cardio isn't up to par. So he's going to have to win round one and a half to round one and two, basically, with wrestling, with getting uh, Musasi down. I've seen Musasi kind of give up. You know, when he's on his back, can't do much. You know, he lost the belt that way against uh, Lovato. So I think if Salter comes in with the idea, look, throw a few punches, set him up, you know, bring Musasi in, wrestle him to the ground, he steals round one. Okay, we're fine. We still have enough energy. Round two come out, same type of game plan. If he could take round two, then he's in the driver's seat because then round three, if, if Salter's starting to tire, which I can see happening, Musasi's going to be a little more desperate. He's going to try to throw punches. Salter's going to need to just, just, Salter will need to just, to, just survive, okay? In round three, Salter will have to just survive, move back, keep distance, um, and if anything, maybe get a takedown, get some clinch control just to get through the round. But I do see Salter winning the fight. I think this is a trap. Man, it's crazy because the public is strong on Musasi. Now, I want to talk about one more thing about Musasi here. I heard an interview. It was done by James Lynch. Um, if you just type in James Lynch on YouTube, you'll find uh, his his channel and whatnot. He does some great MMA interviews, one of the best in the business. He did an interview with Gagar Musasi recently where you could just sort of tell in the interview that Musasi was anywhere from like sort of counting down the last part of his career to um, being frustrated with the recent events of his career. Not necessarily that... He doesn't like Bellator, but just he, he he vocalized that he wants to fight more often. He'd like to fight more often. It's out of his hands. He's not happy with that. Um, he also vocalized that he's going through some personal stuff, but didn't say what it was. He just said, oh, you know, personal stuff. And, you know, just seemed in the interview to be um, not in the most calm or tranquil of ways. Like just seemed to be a little on edge, not in a peaceful mindset. Um he just sort of vocalized that, you know, he mentioned the idea of, you know, how many, I guess, fights, how much longer, um, and whatever else. And so look, I just, I, I thought from the interview, I would say, go look it up. What I'll do is I'll find the interview. I'll put the link in the description here. So if you're watching this video right now, I'll put a link in the description here for the interview with Gagar Musasi, which was done by James Lynch. Um, yeah, you just get this idea that is this halfway emotionally, is there halfway one step out the door? Like is part of him already emotionally gone? Like thinking that, if this is the last fight, what am I doing next? What am I moving on to? You know, that kind of thing. So I got that impression from the interview. Um, I can't say as much for Salter. I don't know the guy's personal issues. I don't know either one of his personal issues. I'm just speculating here about Musasi. With that said, I think Salter, the American fighter, comes in here. He's definitely taking a lot less damage. So we talk about age. They're both 36 years old, right? 
But one guy's fought 56 fights and one guy's fought 22 fights. I'm not a mathematician, but I think that's about double the number of fights, double the number of hits, you know, double the num double num number of rounds, everything across the board. And so, you know, is Hagar Musasi a guy who's now mentally, physically coming to the end of the road? Um, I can see that. I can see that. Um, they both match up very well in a lot of areas. You know, size-wise, they match up. They're both coming in here four and one in the last five fights. And I will say with Gar Musasi, the fight versus Machida, he wins by split decision, right? He could have potentially lost that fight in some worlds. Well, he did lose on one judge's scorecard. So he, if he lost that fight and he lost to Rafael Lovato, you know, Musasi could be coming into this fight with two losses in his last three fights instead of coming in here four and one. So just saying, you know... Um, for Musasi right now, I think his record right now um, speaks for itself. The dude's a veteran. He's a warrior. Coming in here, man, You, if you were just looking at this from a betting perspective and forget all the notes I just took about how they fought, what I saw, what I like and don't like about them as fighters, just forget about that. Minus 350. You're not going to put $350 up on Gagard Musasi. You're not going to put that much money up on him to make a hundred bucks, right? So you look at the dog at plus 275 and you're like, there's some value there. There's a way that John Salter can wrestle this fight up, clinch it up, ugly it up and steal two rounds. There's definitely a way to do it. So I'm on John Salter to win the fight. Um, nothing against Gagard Musasi. Nothing against the guy. He's had an amazing career. I don't think his career should be over after this fight. But if he loses, don't be surprised if it's like, I'm hanging it up, I'm done, peace. You know, I'm done. I got that impression from the interview that he's basically mentally checking out already. So we'll see what happens here. I don't want to root against Gagar Musasi. Seems like a very nice guy. He's had a long career. But I'm on Salter to win the fight at plus 275. There's a lot of value there. I'll be putting at least a half unit straight up here on Salter. And again, no parlaying. Um, as for this fight in terms of props, we won't be discussing any prop bets for Bellator because I don't believe we can even get those bets available on DraftKings, which is the main book that I use. So sorry about that. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Well, that's actually the last fight. So we'll do the summary here after this fight. But uh, that's our breakdown for this fight. We're taking Salter in the main event at plus 275. That number is probably going to jump all over the place between now and when this video gets published. But we're locking it in here at plus 275. Good luck with this fight. Okay, just a summary here of our picks for Bellator 264. We like John Salter, Kreshkov. Magomedov, Davion Franklin, Ty Gwerder, Roberta Pomsamad. And those first three fights, as we talked about at the beginning of the show, we don't have any picks for the first three fights. If there's any pick I would make, I have a slight lean for Justin Montalvo over Kenley St. Louis. All right, again, just to summarize our picks to win, we like John Salter over Masasi, Andre Kreshkov over Hamasi, Magomed Magomedov over Rafian Stotts, Davion Franklin over Evan Cummings, Ty Gwerder beating Pasteev, Roberta Pomsamad beating Pom Sorensen. All right, the two parlays that we're going to recommend you flirt with or consider if you want to do any parlaying, we like Andre Kadeshkov, Davion Franklin, Ty Gwerder, and Roberta Pomsamad. If you put those four parlay pieces together, you'll get about plus 425. The numbers have been moving around a little bit, but it's plus 425 right now. I'm looking at my screen. If you put a half unit, which for us is $50, a half unit would wager on that would would, uh, would pay out two sixty two fifty. So not a bad, 
idea there. So if you do a full unit, obviously it pays out about $500, so not so bad. And I do want to say I, I like all those pieces. Probably Roberta's Pomsamot is the one that's the, the one that's the least favorite of those four pieces. So let's remove her from the equation. Remove her, Removing P Roberta Pomsamot now leaves us with a plus 133, all right? So let's put a full unit there, $100 on that. That would pay out 233, so almost two and a half to one. Not so bad. So those are our two parlays we recommend. Again, the first parlay is Koreshkov, Franklin, Gwerner, and Samad. The second parlay would be dropping Samad off and just keeping Koreshkov, Franklin, and Gwerner. So that's our breakdown for Bellator 264. There's no UFC this week, so we're completely 100% focused. All of our eyes are on Bellator. There is PFL this weekend as well. We'll do a little quick summary on that show um, talking about the PFL picks. But our main focus this week has been on Bellator 264. And I got to tell you, of all the picks on here, the ones I really like a lot, the ones I'm most confident in, I like Ty Gwerder, I like Samad, and I like Kadeshkov. In terms of the two favorite dogs in the card, John Salter and Palm Samad. There are other dogs that I've looked at. I looked at Bastev closely. I looked at Cummings closely. I looked at Stads. I looked at Hamasi. Um, but to me, there's two dogs that really just pop out. Those first three fights, again, you could be playing some Russian roulette with those first three fights and maybe find a dog in there that wins for you. There are no really big dogs in those first three fights, though, so just putting it out there. The biggest dog on the card that I think you've got to look at is John Salter, the main event against Gagad Masasi. I think Gagad Masasi is going to be a parlay just buster, and uh, I like to do it a lot, but I think ultimately Salter's a great dog to look at and pump some odds. So there's our breakdown, guys. Good luck with the card. Hopefully this helps you you know, pin some winning spots on this uh, on this card, and I, t I tell you, overall, I like it. It's a good card. No, no complaining over here. I'm looking forward to some of these fights. The first three fights are pretty much amateur, amateur hour, but that is the prelims for a reason. It is prelims, so we'll see what happens here. Um, if you like the video, guys, if this was helpful for you, if this is going to help you win any tickets, or maybe see what happens first, right? Go see if this helps you win anything. And if you win anything, and any of this advice was, was productive for you, help you cash a winning ticket, then come on back later on and hit the like button. Then subscribe, come on back, leave your comments, tell us how we helped you. And if it doesn't help you, then come on back and, and tell us that too. Come on back and, and leave a comment on our, on our page and let us know uh, what we probably maybe misdirected you on. So, all right, guys, talk to you soon. Peace out. Good luck with the card.